Guys, uh, good morning, and maybe just a quick shout-out to the band for digging out some, like, Old South gospel there, huh? Good to see you guys today. And listen, uh, I'm going to frame this today with a quote that, that has impacted me deeply and has really become something that's representative of the kind of church I want to see Fellowship of Faith be. This is what it says. I like to think that teaching, that what we're doing right now, begins the discussion. I think that's the greatness of Jesus' teaching, is that it pushes us and it begins the discussion. We're still talking about Jesus' teachings. And so... My goal is always to begin a discussion about whatever we're diving into. And so sometimes you might leave here thinking, well, wait a minute, now I have way more questions than answers, to which I answer yes. Now, this isn't my quote, but the first time I came across this quote, it resonated with me deeply. It struck a chord with me deeply, and, and, and for me, it's become something that I hope what we do in this time together is about. It's what I hope fellowship of faith in so many ways, and, and your, your spiritual lives are about. And I think one of the big reasons why is that there is this tradition that goes through Christianity that says questions are bad. I want to share a question that I got this week. A friend of mine sent me an email, and, and I want to assure you right now, I get lots of these, and I'm never going to put your question up here without your permission. He said, I could show this, but read this along with me. Hey, man, I'm sure I'm missing something crazy easy here. Here's the goofy question of the day. So we say that God sacrificed Jesus, his only son, to die and pay for our sins. This is substitution. With that said, God also knew that Jesus would be raised from the dead three days later. While it was awful and painful, was it a sacrifice knowing that three days later Jesus is alive again? Does it matter? Or was it the act only? Am I totally overthinking this? I feel bad even typing this. Seems like it doesn't really matter. Is this question ever asked? Now, for me, the question itself is interesting, and, and I'm glad that he asked it. But what's more fascinating to me about this email is all the assumptions that the question is couched in. Did you catch the phrases coming along? I'm sure I'm missing something that's crazy easy. Goofy question of the day. Am I totally overthinking this? I feel bad even typing this. Seems like it doesn't really matter. Is the question even asked? The question itself is like one sentence long. And everything else surrounding it, I think, betrays this attitude that runs so deeply throughout Christianity that asking questions is bad. After all, look at it. This must be crazy easy. I mean, I, it just must be me. Because no one who knows anything would really ask a question like this stupid me, right? 
Goofy question of the day. Can't admit that it's a good question. No, goofy question of the day, right? This is just, this is just nonsense. Do you, you feel the cover that's happening? I get to the end. Am I totally overthinking this? Because doesn't what it mean to be Christian is that we don't think? I feel bad even typing this as though I'm doing something wrong by asking. So, you know what? Let's just dismiss the whole thing. It doesn't really matter, right? Let's just forget I brought it up. I bet this is just, this is just trivia, right? Let's just kind of put it over there. Do you see it? Do you see it? Permeated throughout this idea that asking questions is bad, that somehow and in some way that if we ask questions, it's equivalent to disloyalty to God or an expression of weak faith or rebellion or challenging of Him, that somehow and in some way asking is bad. But you know what? I don't think that way. I think asking questions is good. I think asking questions is what we should be doing because I think when we ask questions, it forces us to come face to face with our own human limitations, that I don't know everything and I can admit it. More than that, I think it faces us and forces us to wrestle deeply with God, to actually take him seriously, to actually say that what he says matters and making it fit my life is not always clear-cut and I'm really trying to conform my life to this and make this my world view. I am not concerned about people who ask these kinds of faith questions. Where I get worried is for the people who never do. Because to me, that often indicates one of three things, that either A, this person isn't really being reflective enough in their life, or B, they're hiding something. They're afraid. They're afraid to let something be known, afraid to be seen differently, so they keep it down at bay. Or C, just not taking God's Word seriously enough in their life to try to put it into practice. Maybe this email sounds like you. Maybe you're someone here today that's filled with questions. Or maybe you're someone here today that doesn't take the time to ask them. But what I find fascinating is that the Bible is filled with questions. From Genesis to Revelation, it is loaded. And one of the most prevalent questions that you especially see is this one right here. Why? Over 500 times between Genesis 1 and Revelation 22, you find the question of why being asked in the Bible. Now, now what I'd like to do this morning is just give you a sampler of some of those 500 why questions. Now, sometimes 
you come across these. And, and sometimes it's just like people talking. It's people back and forth, you, you know, asking questions of one another. There's this one that I love where this man comes to his wife and he says, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you so downhearted? Does it feel like a question worth asking? Here's one. Why do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaohs did? Now, when I ask that one and you hear that one, don't you imagine it's like Moses asking people? Don't you imagine it's like some prophet asking the people of Israel, why do you harden your hearts? You know why I like that one? It's pagan priests asking the question. Pagan priests in Philistia asking it of the Philistines, going, hey, why are you hardening your hearts like those Egyptians did? Or this one, why did we ever leave Egypt to begin with? Some are questions that you find people asking Jesus. Here's one. Jesus, why do your disciples not fast? How come you don't fast, but John's disciples do? Maybe you've asked this one. Jesus, why do you speak in parables? Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Why couldn't we cast out the demon? Why do you intend to show us yourself, but not the world? You ever wondered things like this? But to me, even more so are those bigger questions that you see people crying out to God in heaven. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do the faithless live at ease? Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Why, God, should your anger burn against your people? Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? How about this? This man crying out to God, why did I not perish at birth and die as I came from my mother's womb? Why does the Almighty not set time for judgment? Why must those who know him look in vain for such days? Or on the flip side, why, God, are you so good to me? Why do you bother? Why do you care? To begin with, have you ever wondered about questions like these, asked questions like these, wrestled with questions like these? You're not alone. The Bible is replete with people asking these exact same questions. But what's even more fascinating to me is then how the Bible will sometimes throw expectation on its head with God asking us the same why questions in return. Let me share some of these. Jesus asks, Why do you worry? Why call me Lord, Lord? And then don't do what I say. Why do you call me good? 
Hey, why can't you stay awake? Why do you seek to stone her? Why are you crying? Why can't you understand? Why is my language not clear to you? Can you hear the exacerbation in Jesus' voice? Why can't you get this? To which we're like, why can't you be clearer? To which he says, why Why are you so afraid? Why do you doubt? Why do you persecute me? And I think a favorite of many when you see Jesus even calling out to God in heaven, why? Why have you forsaken me? But you know, it's the Father in heaven who asks the questions as well. Finding himself in that same place with questions needing to be asked. Here's just a few Why are you so angry? Why is your face downcast? Why do you say and complain, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by God? Why do you disobey the Lord's commands? Why should you be beaten anymore? Why do you persist in rebellion? One of my favorites to this prophet named Jonah, who basically fell in love on a hot day with this vine that God made grow. God asks, why are you so concerned about this vine? You didn't tend it or make it grow? And yet not be concerned with Nineveh, which has more than than 120,000 people who cannot tell their left hand from their right. And many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Here's a good one. Why be captivated, my son? Why? Why? Why be captivated by an adulteress? Why embrace the bosom of another man's wife? Because honestly, it really is a great question, isn't it? How about this? When I came, why was there no one? When I called, why was there no one to answer? And maybe just to wrap it off, Why spend money on what is not bread and labor for what does not satisfy? See, I think if we give it a moment's thought, the question of why permeates life. But what I find so fascinating is that the question of why permeates God's days is well, that God is not afraid to ask questions. That God is not afraid to look stupid. That God is not afraid to make it seem as though he doesn't know something. That, not, that God is not afraid to be vulnerable and honest with his own heart, and let other people see what's important to him. If God can ask the question why, doesn't it stand to reason that we should as well? And the Bible is chock full of questions, questions of every variety, 
most notably this question right here, why? And what I've found is that if we come to the Bible with our why questions and open ourselves to what it has to say, it will challenge our preconceived notions and assumptions about life, ourselves, and this world. It'll challenge those of us who have come to this place of judgment. This place where we stand in a certain, certain position of judgment over the Bible as though we're methodological scientists analyzing the text objectively removed for it. It'll challenge us when we come with these questions we have that we think stump God. That somehow and in some way we have found a chink in the theological armor and have exploited a weakness in God's philosophy and stand back with a certain sense of superiority going, see, this thing doesn't add up. This thing doesn't make sense. I've got this figured out. I've found the hole with a little bit of grin and twinkle in the eye. And I found when I come to God and I'm flirting with that place, God has a way of revealing to me that he knows what's going on. Find when I come to the Bible with an attitude like that, God is willing to say, you know what? I've thought of that. I actually do have it figured out. It's going to challenge those of you who worry. Those of you here who get a little obsessed with this question, those of you who create all kinds of self-produced angst, wondering and worrying about why. Why did this, or why does that, or why am I, or why isn't he? Those of you who churn in this place of inner turmoil, some of you even kept awake at night by it, Wondering and worrying and not knowing where to turn or what the answers might be when all the while God is sitting there saying, I have something to say on this. I can speak into the question that you're asking. And it'll challenge those of us along the way who then think we're enlightened who think that we know the answers why. Because we've read some book or had some life experience or heard some preacher or whatever it might have been that filled the gap that's answered the question in 30 seconds or less for us and think that now we have got it figured out. There's a, another Babylon Bee article I've got to show you today because once you open the door on the bee, there's no going back. And as I was getting stuff together for last week, this one made me laugh and struck me as I was preparing. After careful five-minute-long Bible study, woman concludes Bible supports her position. Let me read this to you. All right? Here we go. 
Seattle, Washington. After a full five minutes of careful study on a controversial topic, local believer Andrea Williams confirmed Wednesday that she had come to the conclusion that the Bible was 100% in agreement with what she wanted to be true in the first place. The Christian woman performed extensive research into the topic, including Google. Googling phrases like, how do I explain away verses that disagree with me in the Bible, and how to eisegete, before cracking open her, before cracking open her copy of the scripture and spending minutes poring over the text. It's really amazing. When I just make the effort to spend a few deliberate, hasty minutes in the Word, I can get the text to fall in line with all of my preconceived notions about issues that matter to me. She was heard saying as she consciously chose to ignore the clear meaning of the inspired words in favor of an unlikely interpretation only arrived by imposing her worldview upon it. Quote, I love how when we come to the Word of God and allow it to shape our minds... It always does us a favor by conforming to our own understanding first. The self-made scholar was later offered a lucrative book deal on the topic by a major Christian publisher. All right, I got to ask, is that, is that one hitting anywhere close to home? Because to me, that's the danger for the typical people who meet in a place like this who have been told and taught and who have even come to believe to some degree that God speaks to our why questions. And then somehow and in some way along the journey, find an answer, find a cliche that leads us to believe that we have it all figured out. And we step back confidently while other people squirm, self-satisfied in the knowledge we thought that God has brought us that day. And all the while, he's standing there going, my wisdom is so much broader and so much deeper than your 30-second answers and your simple cliches. This year, we're going to launch into these why questions of the Bible. And we're going to look at them from different angles. Sometimes we're going to come across these why questions and see statements more than questions where God is going, well, here's why. Other times, we're going to look at these questions that we see people asking Jesus, people crying up to God, these great why questions of life that people have struggled with for millennia. But we're also going to look at those questions, those deep and profound why questions that God is asking you. That God is in heaven right now scratching his head going, why? Why? And it's my suspicion as we do this that some of these questions, some of these questions are going to be ones that gnaw at you. They've been gnawing on you for a while. 
And my hope is that somehow through this, God speaks in a fresh way and in a deeper way to these questions that you're asking. My suspicion is as we go along, some of these are going to be questions that you never even thought to ask. And my hope is that through this, God expands your field of vision from here to here to glimpse a little bit more of just how deep and wide his wisdom and perspective is. And I'm pretty certain that for some of you, maybe many, some of these questions are questions that weary you. They tire you. They burden you. And what used to be something that you sought like a quest now becomes a weight that you can't shake. Like a yoke you're forced to carry and drudge along. Despairing of ever hoping to find something apart from it. And if I'm speaking to you today, my hope is that through this, that these words of Jesus resonate deeply. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened by the question, why? And I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and... Learn from me. For I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you, you will find rest for your souls. Both when he gives an answer to that question, why? And when he doesn't. And simply invites you to trust him with it. And my hope is that through it all, it's not just questions. That it goes beyond just questions, but begins or furthers for you a conversation, a dialogue, a dialogue with God. So, I'm going to invite the band to come back forward. And as we prepare for communion today, I'd like to invite you to rise. And what I'd like to do in these next few moments is something that the Bible itself says we should do when we come together like this and share a meal like this and proclaim a oneness with God and each other, it calls us to, to reflect and examine ourselves. To, uh, to take a spiritual assessment of where we're at, like right now. And for everything that it unearths that has come between us and God. Rebellion. Selfishness sin, 
uncleanness. You get the idea. Along with all the doubts and the questions and the struggles and the worries. Well, to bring them to him. And in your own way, these next few moments, I just want to invite you to do that right now. So let's pray. if you'd like, just pray with me. Most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We justly deserve your presence and eternal punishment. But for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Why do we bring these things to God? Why do we confess? Because the Bible says he is gracious and merciful gracious and merciful in ways that defy our comprehension and it says that he's given his son to die for you and that for his sake forgives you all your sins and cleanses you from all unrighteousness may that define you today. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. He broke it. He gave it to his disciples. He said, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He took a cup after supper. He gave thanks. He gave it to them and he said, drink of this, all of you. This is my blood. It's my blood of the new covenant. It's poured out for you poured out for the forgiveness of all of your sins. So come, take this, do this in remembrance of me. Guys, welcome. Welcome to this today.